Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening into today's episode. Just wanted to make note of two quick things. First off, I'm very sorry, but the audio quality is not its best. Unfortunately, I did an upgrade for the software for my microphone just before this episode, which, you know, looking back, not so much of an intelligent decision. <laughs> so, but but we learn. And then uh, secondly, there are a few deep topics that I discussed in today's episode. So if you're not in the right headspace for it, you know, just take that into consideration before you listen. But um, other than that, I hope that you really enjoy and on with the show. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Everything Kratom, the podcast about anything and everything Kratom. Great to have you with us on this Friday, not morning, afternoon, Friday afternoon. And as promised, we are here checking in with our friend Tristan down in Texas. We've had a couple conversations with him before this, and actually those were back earlier on in season one. So he's been with us every step of the way as as this podcast has started to get going. So Tristan, thank you so, so much for joining us again. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. It's uh, good to be back. Great to have you. Um, So you have been having a Kratom journey and it's been really neat because you know from right from day one from our first conversation it was just super interesting because the things that I you know coming into creating this podcast and like the things that I already knew about Kratom um you know which there wasn't much of at that time and I'm still learning like you kind of busted down some of the doors and the walls that I thought you know defined what Kratom is and how people use it and how people see it. So I've been fascinated with your journey. Um, and I thought that we could just quickly, you know, mention a couple of things that we talked about in our first and second conversations, and then we can check in and see where you're at now. Cause you've been, you've been adjusting the way that you use Kratom and, uh, definitely want to cover that. So basically from my notes and from my memory, our first conversation we met you and you were talking about how you had been recently using Kratom for a couple of weeks. Um, you were especially into the green varieties, um, and but the red for pain in particular. And, um, you know, your pain was at that point an 8 out of 10. And you said with Kratom, it was like a 4 or 5 out of 10. Um, but that you also got some negative effects from the Kratom. And so, you know, you were talking about how like, uh, your current doctor won't prescribe, you know, the, the amount of pain medications that you think were were necessary for your pain management. And then in the second conversation, we talked about how CBD is also a really cool and great tool. Um, and I, I wrote down a quote of yours. You said, you can even give it to your grandma, <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> and um and then, you know, we talked about how Kratom should be something that's legal and accessible, but, you know, the negative aspects of Kratom shouldn't be overlooked or swept under the rug because there are things that are negative when it comes to Kratom and people react differently to it. Um, you talked about how Kratom withdrawal can be real and it can affect people, you know, everything from like the psychological and anxiety related to physically and sleep, things like that. 
So, um, you know, when we were talking about like, is there a form of regulation that makes sense? We were both kind of conflicted over what that might look like. And so now here we are, uh, it's been a couple months and, you know, you've mentioned over messages that you've been tapering down on creative. So can you give a background of why you decided to do that and when you started? Um, I started because Kratom gave me a lot more side effects than your traditional pharmaceutical opioids did. I'm currently on oxycodone with Tylenol and the fentanyl patch, and those don't really provide me any side effects. While Kratom gives me anxiety, jitters, sometimes it makes me unable to drive, it uh, messes with my sleep. It's it's been great for pain because I, I have easy access to it. I don't need to go through the doctor. But now that I've finally found a much better doctor that's willing to prescribe me a lot more um, of the opioid pain medicine I need, I decided to taper because it was both unnecessary and, and provided me bad effects. And I would love to be off Kratom and keep it to like, a uh, occasional thing for really severe pain or for maybe tolerance breaks from opioids tolerance does develop to that uh, which it also develops for kratom i actually had to increase my kratom quite a bit uh, over the course of four months to get the same pain relief and and so when when did you officially like start trying that taper I don't remember a day. Um, I would say it's about, it's been over five weeks. I would guess around six weeks. It's been a very slow taper compared to what a lot of people do on the internet. And I think that's where some people go wrong. They taper way too fast and experience pretty bad withdrawals, at least when they're taking higher dosages that are required for pain or opioid withdrawal. Well, that's, yeah, that's super interesting. And so do you know um, when you look on the internet, like the typical amount of time you see people doing a taper, like, is it like just a week or something like that? Um, I don't, it, it varies so much. Um, people tend to like draw as fast as possible. And I found that with any type of, of drug or medicine, whether it be opioids or benzodiazepines, people just want to quit and get off of it really qu quickly. If you go to the r slash quitting Kratom subreddit, people will cold turkey off 40 grams per day. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. But a, a lot of those people are frankly Kratom addicts and they couldn't do a taper because it requires a lot of mental resolve and they're addicted to it. So they would just you know, use it and they need to just like get rid of all of it and just, you know, deal with kind of the, the cold turkey. But I found one guy on the r slash Kratom uh, with two M subreddit, the more neutral, uh, sane uh, subreddit between the r quitting rate subreddit and the r slash Kratom subreddit. And he had a great taper plan. I really liked and I've been following it for the most part. Um, I do remember how the what the drops I specifically did from dose to dose. Uh, if you'd like a breakdown of that, yeah, definitely. I, I'm, I'd be really interested to hear about how you did it. Okay, so um, 
I'll start with the guy's advice. Um, he recommended you reduce your dose by 0.25 grams per day or 5% of your dose every five to seven days, whichever one is greater. So I, I guess theoretically, if you're taking um, 100 grams, just to make the numbers easy, 5% would be five less grams. So you take 95 grams and then um, five to seven days later, you take 5% less of that. Uh, for me, I figured I could drop a lot faster in the beginning. And then when I started to feel withdrawals, I would start to follow this plan more. So first I went uh, six to uh, 6.75 to um, six grams. And then uh, I felt great, no withdrawals. It, it was amazing. And then I dropped from six to uh, 5.5 to seven days later. That's the one rule I have followed. Uh, I dropped from six grams to 5.5 grams. And that's when I experienced my worst withdrawals. So that time I think I waited uh, 10 days, uh, maybe even a little more because the withdrawals were so bad. And ever since then, every five to seven days I've dropped 0.25. So uh, what was I at? Five grams and then 4.75. And right now I'm down to 4.25 as of like two or three days ago. And I take uh, two doses per day. So right now I'm at eight and a half grams per day. And I started at uh, 6.75 times two, which is 13 and a half grams, if I got my math right, uh, per day. So I'm down 37% I checked from my original dose. And actually uh, for context, when I started taking Kratom for pain relief, uh, it was Happy Hippo. I, I saw that podcast you had earlier with him, uh, the owner of it. And for pain, I found the sweet spot I needed in the beginning was about 5.3-ish grams. You know, um, it, it was usually a little more, maybe like 5.3.5, 5.4. Uh, I don't like to, you know, kind of anally go over the scale and like do too much of perfection. So like now my dose might be 4.22, it might be 4.27. I don't like try to get the numbers exactly perfect, but just really close to that amount that I'm taking. Wow, so this is just really, I find this fascinating because it's such a targeted approach and very specific. And I, I find the math aspect of it really interesting that 5% drop each time. And I think like one of the first questions I have about this taper for you is what, why, do you, why do you think exactly that from 6.75 grams to six grams was fine, but from six to 5.5 was like just the worst experience ever. I mean, to, to the outside perspective, or for me at least, you know, that doesn't seem like the largest you know, change. And I, I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Um, I have noticed that people on Kratom subreddits who quit have the easiest time dropping a lot of their Kratom dose in the beginning. And it gets harder as time goes on. That kind of happens with a lot of medicines. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the mechanism is. Um, Maybe my 
uh, maybe I was oversaturating my opioid receptors. Um, it, partially, it could have been the introduction of, of a much higher opioid dose. I don't know if you want to get into that later, uh, how my opioid dose changed from going to my previous pain doctor to this current pain doctor. Um, but that probably helped a bit. I, I think it was my body could easily adjust because it was, you know, I think the receptors were already fairly full at six and 6.75, but then my body's like, whoa, this is actually like kind of messing with my equilibrium. That's the only thing I can think of. And it happens with like every medicine. So uh, at least every like uh, kind of like narcotic, like benzodiazepines, opioids, stuff like that. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I hadn't even thought about that, but thinking about it now, it does make sense that that happens with, with other medicines as well. And I've had an experience like that before. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And yes, please do bring in the the whole aspect of the prescriptions that you have with your doctor, change the doctor, because it seems like this taper was really uh, informed, or at least it was taking part around what was going on with your doctor and you know, if you were able to get enough pain medication or not. So yeah, could you walk us through a little bit of what that's been like? Yeah, um, do you want a list of all my medications or just like the opioid ones or the opioid, uh, the Kratom withdrawal ones? Um, yeah, whatever you think is, is relevant to it and that you're comfortable sharing. I, I think it'd be interesting, um, like what you just brought up, that, you know, it, it the amount that of pain medication that you had either helping or making it worse, you know, with this Kratom taper. So yeah, what, anything you find relevant would be great to learn about. Okay, I'll, I'll start with um, the opioid dose change and then uh, what I take for Kratom withdrawals. Before I was on the 12 microgram um, fentanyl patch and my new doctor changed uh, 12 micrograms per hour. Um, and he changed it to 25 micrograms per hour. So over a double increase in that. And he also added uh, four 10 milligram Percocets uh, per day, which is 10 milligrams of oxycodone plus 325 milligrams of cinnamonophane or Tylenol. And um, that's been over a quadrupling of my opioid dose. Like if you want to use MME, uh, milligrams of morphine equivalents, the kind of what the scientific and medical community uses to convert opioids. I was on 28.8 MME before, and um, now I'm on 120 MME. So that is obvious, that is over a quadrupling of my dose. So that's a, that's a big change. And this was, um, was this uh, change through, sorry, I don't remember if you said it, was this through a new doctor or is this your older doctor? A new doctor. My older doctor, uh, she was fresh out of college, so uh, relatively fresh, 2016. I think she graduated uh, medical school or got her master's or something. And she got a lot of the, op the anti-opioid propaganda that, you know, opioids are addictive. They're not good for chronic pain. You should have alternatives like CBT. All things that, frankly, aren't <laughs> aren't true and really should be busted. Um, 
my current doctor, even my psychiatrist, they all know that the opioid crisis isn't an opioid crisis. That's kind of bullshit when you look at the numbers. It's a fentanyl and heroin crisis. Um, it's almost like a poisoning crisis because the heroin users, um, which may have gotten hooked from pain uh, uh, pill mills, but were most likely addicts or people searching to get high anyways. And then once the flow of oxycodone and hydrocodone stops, they move to heroin. Um, but there's just a lot of studies out there that disprove the opioid crisis. And thankfully this doctor is, is actually willing to manage my pain. And he seems a lot more knowledgeable uh, than the previous doctor. The previous doctor tried two injections, didn't work. Uh, I was complaining about severe pain. Um, and she gave me an NSAID and I've told her multiple times, NSAIDs don't do anything for me. And if you go on the chronic pain forums or talk to people in severe chronic pain, Tylenol and NSAIDs don't do much. And this is from someone who used ibuprofen when I got my uh, wisdom teeth removed and it helped a lot. I used ibuprofen when I was playing football and got, you know, swollen stuff. Like these medicines work, but they don't work for severe pain. You really, the only option and the safest option long-term, frankly, is opioids under strict guidance. For example, I get drug tested every single month. Um, and I'm okay with that. You know, the only thing I don't like about it is the cost of it. I think it, it should be free. Uh, for drug addiction treatment, drug tests are free. So I don't, I don't see how that's really fair. Um, but I, I'm okay with that. Obviously they monitor your PDMP. You have to get a referral. You can't just like say like, oh, I have pain. You have to get a referral from your doctor. The doctor reviews your medical notes. There's a lot of controls they use to avoid addiction. And the addiction numbers I've seen from that are 0.19% with all these controls and stuff. It's it's not like it used to be. You'd get like 90 Vicodin for a wisdom teeth removal. Right. Well, that, you know, you're bringing up a million interesting points here that I want to go into a bit more. Um, mainly that just this idea of, you know, and me, my, my brother was um, addicted to opioids and also, you know, just both the prescription ones, which he didn't have a prescription, and then also he was addicted to uh, heroin and, um, and uh, a few other things. And so, you know, just I, I've seen from the family side what the crisis is doing, but the crisis itself, even my brother used to say, um, you know, it's, it's no, the things that the country is trying to do to limit this crisis you know, this is an addict saying this. He's like, it's not going to work. He's, he said, you know, I'm, everybody's coming back to the methadone clinic all the time and, and they're, you know, taking their Suboxone and then they're missing a dose and then they go and do heroin and then it's fentanyl. It's like, it may, he said, um, I remember my brother saying, this crisis might have started by over-prescribing opioids, but that's not what it is like anymore. It, that was what his viewpoint was of it. Um, as being someone who was an addict. And I, I thought, I've always thought about that and thought it was interesting that, you know, and I want to pose this question to you. Do you think that um, the, the general, you know, 
uh, I guess you, you, I'll use what you said, but um, the anti-opioid propaganda is what I think you said. Do you think that this comes from people who are not as well versed in what's actually going on on the ground or not connected to it? And they're just kind of, they're picking up this idea that there's an opioid crisis and they're just kind of like pushing this uh, phrase in a way, just like opioids are bad, too many opioids, but it's not actually, you know, people who are in pain who are really talking about this. Yeah. Um... One of the most influential things in decreasing opioid prescribing was the 2016 CDC guidelines, which I have to assume you're unfamiliar with. Completely unfamiliar. (laughs) School me. (laughs) (laughs) So um, this was basically a, uh, it was supposed to be guidelines, but it's actually become laws in many states and many doctors follow it. It was supposed to apply to primary care doctors uh, because at the time they were 50% or over 50% of opioid prescriptions came from um, primary care doctors. Um, But uh, as I said, you need a lot of controls when you're prescribing opioids for a long period of time. you know, you go to the ER, you break a bone and, and they give you a little prescription, that's fine. But if you have chronic pain, um, you need somebody who's trained to look for signs of addiction, abuse. You need to basically go to a pain management place and a, a pain management doctor. And typically that's an anesthesiologist who's board certified in pain medicine. Um, but these CDC guidelines um the whole panel did not include one single pain doctor on it i don't even think they had a doctor well okay no they did have doctors on it but they had addiction doctors on it addiction doctors and people who worked in academia who were telling pain management and pain doctors and doctors in general how to prescribe opioids when they're coming from this addiction perspective and they had no input at all from people who were actually in the ground treating pain in the trenches trying to help disabled people have quality of life and function and they've done a great disservice i mean they have killed tens of thousands at least uh, of people with these guidelines and made people suffer. You know, if you look at the um, the deaths, I, I have it here. Uh, in 2016, about 40,000. Um, but I don't know if you saw the recent headlines of, like last year was like 77,000. Yeah. Um, and I can look here, I have the data, uh, opioid prescriptions in 2016, were about 66.5 per 100 people, and that includes refills. And in 2019, the most recent year, it's 46.7. And I have to imagine that number keeps going down. So opioid prescriptions are dropping, more people are dying. Um, And also more people are in pain. I mean, I've been in severe pain for years. And a lot of people just need high dose opioids. That's just how it is. 
uh, I'm looking at the chart here of overdose deaths and, you know, fentanyl's reaching 40,000, way out passing anything else. Um, yeah. Do you think that, um, so it seems like you're also kind of, or you're not saying this, but I, it, I'm inferring from what you're saying that, um, you know, people aren't able to access pain medication. Um, and so it's driving, you know, is it fair to say that it's driving people to end up, you know, taking fentanyl illegally? There are some people. I, I have read stories of people on r slash chronic pain um, just decide that they've had enough of the, the years and years and in some cases decades over a decade or decades of trying to get their pain managed and they've tried every procedure under the sun they've tried like 20 non-opioids and the only thing that works for them is high dose opioids and they do end up turning to heroin it's a very rare thing i don't like the narrative because the vast majority of people who have undertreated pain will just suffer and and lie in bed they're not going to go to the street some will of course because people are, are are rational it's like um you attack a guy with a knife and expect him not to fight back uh and that's essentially what these people are dealing with having a knife stabbed in their in their back their neck their legs their hip whatever every single day 24 7 and they have to do something i can tell you personally my if this appointment with my new doctor didn't work out i was going to go to a methadone clinic and pretend to be addicted you know i was going to take one of my extra oxycodone pills and say oh i'm addicted to oxycodone can i have some methadone please and they don't restrict the opioids for addicts they can get you know up to a hundred i've heard of 140 200 milligrams of methadone and methadone while it's rarely prescribed in pain management it's generally limited to 30 milligrams so i i i mean i get that the fact that it's incredibly controlled because you uh you're taking it right in front of them so it's not like you could sell it or anything but yeah it it, it got pretty desperate honestly um and, and my pain's by no means good enough that i can work right now but it's enough that I can sit here and, you know, deal with insurance and medical calls and have this podcast with you um, and enjoy my life a little bit more. Um, I, I've had a lot less suicidal uh, thoughts. You know, I, I bet there's thousands of people in severe chronic pain killing themselves that just no one tracks it because no one wants to admit that not only are they killing people by uh, pushing addicts from pills to, to heroin that's laced with fentanyl. They're also killing people like, like me and my community that just can't handle the pain and, and deal with suicide. Over 90% of people in, in severe chronic pain have anxiety and depression. And we know that that can cause uh, um, suicide. So it, when I was with my previous doctor, every single night and often during the day, I, I would want to kill myself. Um, that's getting a lot deeper than I thought. And, and I still have those thoughts sometimes, but I think I've had those thoughts maybe three, four times, um, and only at night where it used to be every single night and often during the day as well, maybe like half the days, 
more than half the days actually I'd have suicidal thoughts for hours and then every single night um, couldn't sleep because of the pain as well now I can't sleep for other reasons but yeah it's um, it, it really is horrible what they're doing to, to people in severe chronic pain Wow. Well, it, I appreciate you being on here and sharing all that. Um, it's definitely a difficult topic, and it's you know, but you're certainly you're informing me of something that I haven't thought about uh, much at all, and I'm totally new to. So um, hopefully, you know, this is helping to inform other people about it because it's it's a world that not many people get to see unless they're in it. And how you know, with that, um, how how is your pain management right now exactly? Like what's your pain level day to day, you know, given that you have these new prescriptions? And just as a, a reminder from their first conversation, you had said that your pain was given like day to day about an eight, but then when you used Kratom, it was at a four or five out of 10. Yeah. Um, I'd say it, it depends. Um... I, uh, I take an oxycodone every morning when I wake up. Um, so, you know, I wake up a little stiff. Um, but as I'm, as I'm getting ready, as I take my morning Kratom dose and, you know, drink my water, my coffee or Monster, whatever, it, it slowly kicks in. I, I'd say maybe I'm about a three or a four. Um, I don't know how much the Kratom is helping with uh with the pain relief at this point because the dosage is a lot lower than it used to be i think it is still helping um but the thing was even when i was on a four or five because of the side effects of kratom i wasn't very functional i was still stuck in bed a lot anxious jittery um you know i've had some other uh i've had some psychiatric medication changes that have helped uh, my Valium's been increased. I don't know what it was before, maybe 10 or 15 milligrams a day, and now it's at 30 milligrams a day. And uh, that's been helping. Like I've been able to be at the computer a lot more and just do things, um, which is kind of like a good sign that maybe I'll be able to work from home in this kind of setting, uh, sitting on this, this couch and uh, having the desk like set up and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, I'm glad that your pain level is lower than than the first time you talked. It's certainly an improvement. Um, and with with that said, and you're, you said a three or a four out of ten, that's still I, something that just occurs to me. Um, maybe it should have occurred a long time ago. Is that you know your pain level is probably a lot higher than mine is since you're always dealing with such terrible pain. So I don't know, you know, like what a three or four out of 10 for you would be for me. I mean, it's probably like an eight for me or maybe even a 10, who knows? But um, that's something else to think about. But regardless, that's that's a huge improvement. And I'm, I'm glad that it seems like you're, you're figuring it out and it's coming down a bit more. Do you, do you ever like stub your toe? <laughs> uh, do I ever stub my toe? Every week I stub my toe. It's, it's... How, how much does it hurt for you? Oh goodness. Putting me on, spot. Uh, on a I scale don't, of you, one to ten. Oh, uh, when I stub my toe, I mean, maybe it's like a well, for a, the briefest of moments, it's maybe like a, a five or a six, and then it dies down to like a two or a one. You know, I don't even notice it. 
I, I'll notice I stub my toe when I almost trip after. I'll be like, oh, I stubbed my toe. <laughs> that's that's literally how it is. And, you know, the, the, the painkillers I'm taking, I'm sure, to, you know, play a role in that. But yeah, I mean, you do develop a, a tolerance to pain mentally, but there's also like a reverse effect. Um, you know, people will bring up opioid-induced uh, hyperalgesia, which has never been proven in anything but rats. And the human studies show that it actually doesn't exist. They don't fall for that myth. But uh, just chronic pain-induced hyperalgesia does exist. So people in chronic pain, the longer they're in chronic pain, the more sensitive they are to that chronic pain. So it like gets worse over time. So um, over time, people will need increasing opioid dosages. Tolerance aside, pain getting worse aside as you age, you do you will need more opioids. Um, and that used to not be a problem, but now it is. Uh, the way I get around tolerance is, uh, I've talked to my doctor about this, is we switch uh, opioids every, uh, I mean, I, I have, haven't been seeing them that long, but this will be the third appointment, so third month, I'm going to switch from oxycodone and the fentanyl patch. Fentanyl patch also isn't covered by insurance, unless you have cancer, which is pretty fucked up, but whatever. <laughs> We're going to be switching to hydrocodone extended release and uh, regular uh, hydrocodone, um, like uh, hydrocodone with Tylenol in it. Um, so I guess like Vicodin, generic Vicodin basically. And it's going to be the exact same opioid-like strength, but because it's a different opioid, I'm going to get more pain relief. Because I have noticed I've had to take more of the oxycodone than I used to. In the beginning, I was taking one, two, and then, you know, it was like half of the days I was taking one, and then half days I was taking two, and then two became my average, and now three is my average. I've had to take four um, a couple times. The four is what I'm prescribed, so it's not like I'm going over, but I do worry some days I might have to go over, which I wouldn't feel bad about since most days I go under, but I don't like taking more than prescribed controlled substances. I, I prefer to take less. Less is more. <laughs> um, oh, and I never, we never talked about the, the medicine I'm taking for Kratom withdrawals. Do you want to go into that? Yeah, please do. Um, so I, I'm prescribed Lyrica. I have nerve damage in my uh, L5. S1 uh, right side, which is basically your low back right side. So the Lyrica's for that. Lyrica honestly doesn't help much with pain. Uh, I find I have to take like a month off and then it works for two to four weeks and then I have to take a month off. Um, so I was actually in the middle of taking a break, but then I decided to start my Kratom taper um, pretty much as soon as I got the new opioids or the higher dosage. So I, I started Lyrica again, and I've been taking that. I should take more. I have so much Lyrica. I have like five or six months worth. I never take what they give me, um, but there. Are, but doctors always look at me suspiciously if I ask for less. So I'm just like, okay, fine. Just over prescribe me Lyrica. But yeah, I have so much of it. I take like 
at minimum two uh, 150 milligrams a day. I have like a pill sorter. I put one in the AM and one in the PM. And I should take more. I should take the max uh, two more during the day since I have so much extra. I'm prescribed three 150 milligram pills a day. But I, I just get lazy and forget to take it. That, uh, the clonidine patch, um, and uh, a restless leg medicine called Mirapex. Uh, my pain doctor doesn't think I have restless leg. He thinks I have nerve damage, which kind of lines up with what Google said. Google said if you had restless leg and you're under 30, it's probably a nerve issue. So it's probably the nerve uh, damage I have that's causing the restless leg. But I, Kratom has made it worse, I've noticed. But I have the medicine and it works pretty good. So if anyone's trying to quit Kratom, um, Lyrica is kind of hard to get. It's a controlled substance, but Gabapentin and Clonidine, especially Clonidine. Clonidine is pretty easy. You can just say you have anxiety and um, say you heard the Clonidine or the Clonidine patch works well. Patch is kind of better because it's controlled release, but it can be expensive if you don't have good insurance. Um, but yeah, those two are pretty good. Some restless life medicine. Uh, I'd, I'd recommend seeing a psychiatrist if, if you're having issues getting off of Kratom. The only worry I'd have is then it's in your records and if you ever get severe chronic pain, a uh, pain management doctor might look at that and be like, oh, you're a Kratom addict or oh, you are self-medicating. But yeah. Wow, that's all super fascinating. It's a lot. Um a lot going on there. I wanted to, could I get some clarification? You said that, that Lyric isn't really helpful for pain. What exactly did you say that it, that it's helping you with or what, with regards to the creative withdrawals? Um, how it's helping? I, I think it just lessens them. Um, Lyrica and especially gabapentin is more popular since it's not a controlled substance. And Lyrica you can abuse more easily. Um, so gabapentin is more popular for this, but Lyrica and, and gabapentin, they're both the same kind of drugs, same class of drugs. And I don't know, they just like lessen the withdrawals um, of any opioid, actually. Uh, gabapentin is given out like candy uh, for pain, for opioid withdrawals. Um, Lyrica is, if gabapentin doesn't work, and you're having pain. I, I don't hear of Lyrica too often for opioid withdrawals because they're worried about abuse. Um, interestingly enough, if you want to abuse gabapentin, you have to very specifically dose it. You have to like take 300 milligrams and then wait like an hour and a half and then take like 600. It's, it's like a crazy, like you have to dose it in such a specific way. It's hard to abuse. If you want to get high on Lyrica, you just take a bunch of it. That's kind of the difference. That's why gabapentin is not a controlled substance federally, and Lyrica is. So, so now you're down to you're down to four point two five grams twice a day for kratom, and that's thirty seven percent down from when you started uh, at thirteen point five yeah. grams. So, so from where do you go from here? Like, what's your plan when it comes to, are you going to continue at the same rate of taper of like 5%? Um, are you happy where you're at and you want to stay where you're at or, or what's your plan? Um, I wanted to, to clarify uh, two things. 
Uh, one, I, I meant to clarify this a really long time ago, but I was actually a fan of reds only. Greens were much more stimulating. Um, but this was a long time before in the podcast. And in terms of the taper, I've been following the 0.25 grams, uh, not the 5% because I didn't want to do the math and I would get like funky numbers. His rule is actually 0.25 grams less per day. And I've been doing 0.25 grams less per dose. And with my two daily doses, that's 0.5 grams. Um, my actual plan is to keep reducing by 0.25 grams each of my two daily doses. So 0.5 grams less per day, every five to seven days until I hit more severe withdrawals, which will likely happen at the lower doses. And then I'm going to cut to uh, just one of my daily doses reducing by 0.25 milligrams. Probably the one at night, so I, I don't feel it as much. Um, so let's say I, I make it to three grams and three grams, uh, and then I'm having more withdrawals because the, as the dosages get lower, you tend to get more withdrawals. I would do like three grams on, in the morning, 2.75 at night, a week later, 2.75 in the morning, 2.75 at night, a week later, 2.75 in the morning, 2.5 at night. Uh, that's kind of my plan. Um, I'm hoping I don't have to reduce by less than 0.25 grams per dose because trying to measure 0.125 on a scale is not easy. <laughs> it's a pain in the ass. 0.2, 0.25 is actually not bad. It's I have like a $16 jeweler scale super popular on Amazon. It has like 10,000 reviews. I recommend it to anybody that uses Kratom. Um, and it's, it's pretty accurate. Um, oh, and funny tip. Did I tell you how I, how I use Kratom? This might actually help people who uh, drink it in a liquid. I don't think we, we heard about how you use it that way. So I, I used to do, because um, this is what my friend showed me, I used to use a cup like a, just a cup with water or maybe put the powder first and then mix it up. But like you'd never mix the powder very well into the thing. And then we went from a spoon to a fork because a fork would at least mix it up better. But I mean, that still like doesn't mix it up well. So you have to pour more water into it and then you still get a ton left over and you have to drink way more. And it's, it's really a pain in the ass. So what I started doing um, I have like a little, like I have my scale and then I have my, my big thing of Kratom. I have a, a little bowl with a spoon on it that I change every couple of days for uh, hygienic reasons. I take the scale, turn it on, put uh, a protein shaker cup full of water on it, and then I tear it, which means setting it so that it only counts weight on top of that. And then I dose the Kratom in there, close up the cup, and literally 10 seconds of shaking, it gets fully dissolved. Because these protein shaker cups are meant to dissolve protein, which is much heavier and, and harder to dissolve than Kratom. And it like uses up almost all the Kratom. And then I'll reuse that cup because there's still a little bit of Kratom in there. And then, um, you know, if I'm being really picky, I'll put more water in it and shake it in again. And, get the rest out but usually I'll reuse that cup for a couple days and then I'll wash it and you waste very little kratom that way 
and it's a very convenient, easy way to do it. Well, that is a really neat trick, and I'm sure some people are going to be looking around for those protein cups now. So, <laughs> thank you for that tip, and I know I will be trying that out as well.、Um, there's way too many experiences I have where there's there's green powder. Everywhere, so、um, oh god, yeah, definitely yeah. don't don't want that.、Um, <laughs> <laughs> super interesting and, and great tip.、Um, I was thinking, I also want to ask you, you know, it, before we wrap this episode up, I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts about the fact that the World Health Organization, and I'm just going to read what they said. They concluded there's insufficient evidence to recommend a critical review of kratom. And and so that was their initial decision. What what do you think about that? Is that what you were expecting? And and then you know looking ahead, what do you think that means for kratom, at least in the U.S.? I guess we can talk locally. Um, yeah, it was kind of what I was expecting.、Uh, reading your podcast, some of the AKA,、um, most of the information I got from kratom,、uh, or the, I should say the kratom subreddits. Um, especially the the one with two M's. I got the protein shaker cup tip from the r slash kratom mm subreddit as well.、Uh, that subreddit is amazing. If you're into kratom, just browse on it, ask tips on it. People on there are your average users. They're not you know super anti or super pro kratom. They're great people. But it is what I expected. It was a panel full of scientists.、Um, So it, it would be like if the CDC guidelines were made by a bunch of pain doctors.、Um, this wasn't made by a bunch of DEA、uh, people or、uh, some, you know, FDA corrupt individuals. Although the FDA is much better than the DEA、uh, or CDC when it comes to drugs, frankly. Yeah, it, it was what I expected in terms of what impact it's going to have. I don't think they're gonna try to schedule it for at least three more years. So I think we got a three-year grace period,、um, at least.、Uh, state level, I've been following your your podcast, and it. I think some states are gonna legalize it in a controlled manner, which I'm okay with. You know, I I have no issues. My vendor's pretty good.、Um, happy hippo. Um, and I think some states are going to make it illegal. I think it's going to be a little bit like weed, but a lot more legalized because it's legal on the federal level, and that has a big impact on what states individually do. You know, for example,、uh, gabapentin is not a controlled substance on the federal level, but in some states it is a controlled substance. But there's only like four states, so the federal government. Uh, Trump state law, but not just that. It kind of sets the precedent for state law.、Uh, so I think most, I think we're going to have more states legalize it than make it illegal. But I think we're going to have at least one state make kratom just illegal, a Schedule One substance.、Um, well, that'll be going to happen. Think it's going to happen what soon? Um. Yeah, I, I think there's momentum behind.、It. I think it'll happen within the next year, year and a half.、Uh, but I don't think it's going to be much more than one state. If I were to be very, very generous, I'd say a maximum of three states.
would make it illegal, but I would expect more like one, maybe two. Um, and do you know how many states uh, Kratom's currently illegal in? I think it's like four or five, right? Yeah, something like that. It's four. I think it might be five. I think Wisconsin might be changing that. We'll see. I think it's five. I know Vermont. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that I I have to agree with you. I, I think that that's kind of the way it's headed. Um, I think that you know, like with these Kratom Consumer Protection Acts, I think that that's kind of like a suitable way to go about regulating kratom. Um, you know, I, I take no issue with making it so that, you know, kids can't take it. And, uh, you know, that's, of course, I think that makes sense. And then, um, making sure the processing is clean and done right. And, um, you know, everything under the sun when, when, with regards to that. Uh, but then from there, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's up in the air. And I think, um, I remember you saying, uh, I think it was either, it must have been the first conversation, maybe it was the second. I think you mentioned that um, if you were, like I asked you, would you be okay if it was like, you know, scheduled and, and to what degree? And you said um, maybe, but it would have to be like schedule five. Like it'd have to be like a lower scheduling. But um, you also mentioned that it's nice that Kratom is accessible and that people don't have to go to their doctor to, to get it which kind of is interesting now, you know, in retrospect with this conversation, being that you were having trouble getting the pain medication you need from your doctor. So uh, that's interesting for people who use Kratom for pain, um, running into that same problem if it was gonna be something that you had to get through your doctor. So what, what do you think about the whole Kratom uh, Consumer Protection Act uh, framework? Um, I, I watched a podcast on it. If I remember the basics, it's like you can't sell it to kids. I mean, that's a duh. Um, I don't know if they define kids as 18 or 21, but um, I guess either one is fine. I'd prefer 18, frankly. Uh, I think setting things to 21, like alcohol, cigarettes, is ridiculous. I'm 22 now, so it doesn't affect me, but, um, but whatever. Yeah, no kids. Uh, you can't adulterate it with other drugs. That's kind of a big duh. Um, beyond that, I don't even remember, um, but if it included like mandatory lab testing, I think that'd be great. Um, if there was a way to like measure the alkaloids, like they do on TH, like on weed in legal states, yeah, uh, that would be good. Although I've heard those are wholly inaccurate. No, really. That, that is yeah. part of a lot of the frameworks is making sure that um, the 7-hydroxyl tragedy doesn't exceed 2% because that's kind of what's naturally found in the leaf. And I think from that eight-factor analysis, they released one of the negative things that was in that was that if you increase 7-hydroxyl tragedy and kratom like to a ridiculous degree, that can really have some harmful effects. Yeah, I, I imagine so. But no natural kratom is going to reach even half, maybe... I don't even think they'd reach half a percent of uh, seven hydroxy. I don't know how to say. It. I'm just gonna say seven hydroxy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's so many times on this podcast where I'm like, I can't say these names. <laughs> uh, I can say the tragedy. Um, speciosa. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, mandatory lab testing would be great, but from what I've seen with weed, it's like 
uh, it's not even accurate. So what's the point? You're, you're, you're almost better off just not having um, the percentage lab testing. I want pesticide and heavy metals and salmonella testing, but the percentage testing misleads consumers, honestly. I think it'd be better if, if based on what I've heard about weed, them being so inaccurate, it's better that the consumer just doesn't know how strong stuff is than if they are misled with wrong information. Like it, it's better to be uninformed than misinformed, if that makes sense. But I, I would love mandatory lab testing on all Kratom products. That would be great. Heavy metals, everything, um, you know, especially since a lot of people do buy it from smoke shops. Um, that stuff can be pretty sketchy, frankly speaking. It's much better to get it from a good online vendor. Does yeah. that does that answer your question? Oh yeah, definitely. I I think um, uh, and I think you actually covered you know most of the main things that are in those Creative uh, Consumer Protection Acts. I, I'm no expert on them all. I, I remember the main ones being there's an age restriction. I think a lot of the time it's 21, um, but I know some of them are 18. Um, you know, limiting the alkaloid content, um, you know, salmonella, heavy metals, all that, like testing sanitization processes, things like that. Um, and then it kind of like differs from there, and especially based on like the punishment for people who are, you know, not following these practices. And there's also usually like a fee that, that creative uh, distributors have to, to pay to, to be a legal, you know, vendor. So I think that's kind of like the basic framework. And then it really just, differs based on the state. Um, well, honestly, this has been super informative. I think we got through the most that we've got through out of any of the three conversations and a lot of rich material. We got deep, we got heavy, then we also got light and fun, and we both admitted we couldn't pronounce certain words. So overall, <laughs> just like a successful podcast. What, what do you think? <laughs> I, I think so. I had I actually have a question for you relating to Kratom regulation. Just one question before we wrap it up. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. Uh, I, I guess I keep comparing weed to Kratom, but in, in certain uh, places, I, I believe you can't even buy weed. You have to buy like vapes or edibles. And in other places, they restrict the amount of milligrams of THC per edible because um, you're probably aware a lot of people have had horrible experiences with edibles because they are so much stronger and they take so long to work that people might overdo it. So I, the, the number I usually see is like 10 milligrams max per edible. Mm, yeah. Uh, so what about restricting or actually just banning extracts completely? Because I feel like that's where a lot of people go wrong. They're super concentrated. They screw up your kratom tolerance. I feel like they're way more likely to get you addicted, um, have a dependency, a high kratom tolerance, uh, side effects. Um, but I do know that some like fentanyl uh, opioid addicts need extracts because they're much stronger and they can't just get by on leaf. So I'm kind of conflicted, but what do you think? That's a good question. I haven't, you know, like I've never even tried an extract before, so I can't talk from experience when it comes to that. Um, I mainly just use, you know, powder, um, leaf. And I'd have to say, 
Yeah, that's a really tough one. I, I wouldn't, yeah, both of your points are pretty much playing ping pong in my head right now, because on the one hand, I definitely like have, from what I've seen in the reports, people who, you know, um, die from overdoses or what have you, uh, you know, even um, one of the cases where someone took their own life, uh, it's so often, more often than not in the ones that I've seen, maybe not in total, but just from what I've seen, that it's extracts that they've taken, you know, like five extracts or something. And the, the amount of creatine they've taken is ridiculously high. And, you know, even of those cases, like I've still never seen a case where I can definitively say Kratom was the thing that that killed that person. Although I don't deny that it might be possible. I just, I don't know. But what I do see is extracts being extremely prevalent in those cases where someone dies and they've had Kratom in their system. So it has to be taken into account. It has to be considered. Um, I can imagine that another aspect of it being that when you do an extract, you're increasing the alkaloid content and maybe it's not going to be increased evenly. I don't know how chemically that works, but I can imagine that it could get a bit messy. If you're making an extract, you end up, you know, having a concentrate of something that might not be evenly, you know, concentrated compared to other alkaloids. So maybe it's unevenly concentrating things. So I feel like that would definitely be, you know, something that, that could be regulated or taken away legally but at the same time your point about the fact that people who are using kratom a lot of them can't get any effects or very little from just the, the leaf on its own um you know the, the extract is their only chance at, at getting a benefit from kratom that's that's a tough one and all i can think is that i wouldn't want to i would err on the side of like not making it illegal but at the same time it's like if you need something to be 8,000 times more powerful to deal with, it's like, shouldn't the answer really be like, you just, you gotta get off of stuff. Like, <laughs> like if, it, but it might be dangerous. So I don't know. I think that that's something I wanna see a lot more research done on. That That's my answer. It's kind of a cop out, but I, I wanna see a lot more research on extracts. Definitely. You actually, your explanation or your thinking gave me what I think is the perfect answer for the short term until we have more research is to just regulate the uh the strength of of the extracts i think um i've never taken an extract either i was always told to stay away from them and, the, and they're ridiculously expensive too uh but i mean i guess for the fentanyl addict it's cheaper than their their fentanyl but um maybe like regulate the strength because what I've seen on the bottles is like 10 times uh, strength. So maybe it's like 10 times two grams. So maybe you're getting like 20 grams of Kratom worth at once or something like that. I don't know the specific numbers, so don't quote me on that. But maybe if they could limit the strength or potency of extracts, but still allow the sale of them. I think that would be a, I think that'd be a good thing. And, and also like, have the strength be like marked and like regulated no like mystery extracts that might be super potent or super weak and so that the consumer actually knows what they're getting yeah yes no i think you're right on i i like the way that you're going about it and i think that that makes sense to to limit at least 
the, the, the strength of an extract until we get more research. Of course, all of it needs more research. And I think that pretty much anybody would agree with that idea. Literally everything needs more research. I mean, <laughs> you know, opioids have been around since what, like 5,000 AD or something, and we need more research on it. So, and Kratom's new to the West. Uh, so, yeah, it needs a lot more research. Everything needs more research. Um, COVID needs more research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything. Um, my well, life needs more research. <laughs> uh, well, you, so we're we're wrapping up here. It seems like. Yeah, I guess so. This has been a really great. This is the longest episode we've ever done on this podcast. Um, couldn't be more thrilled with the fact that I did it with you, Tristan. And this has been super informative. I always love talking to you. We'll have you on again, of course, if you're willing. And um, you know. I just want to keep everyone up to date and stay up to date myself with your uh, Kratom journey, which is ongoing. So thanks so much for joining us and hope to have you again soon. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Jamie. It was a lot of fun. I'll definitely be on, uh, especially if there's any updates with my Kratom use and my life and things like that. Um, and this was such a fun time. It uh, felt like a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and I think next time, you know, we end we'll probably end up going for like a five hour podcast and ten. You know, one, one day we'll just start one and we'll not stop. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd have to do that on my phone and then like lie down <laughs> or something. I don't think I can sit that long. Uh, I, I might have to drink a little bit just to help with the pain. Drink a little, take a little oxy. <laughs> well. <laughs> And I will, right then and there, make the note, in no way, shape, or form, and is this podcast condoning such behavior? <laughs> I, I don't condone it myself. I have five, <laughs> about five drinks a year. <laughs> Covering all the bases here. But yes, oh, uh, let's do it again. Um, so, um, thanks so much, Tristan. This is a blast. And let's do it again. Of course. Thanks, Jamie. All right. And thanks to you all for listening out there. And uh, we'll be back again next week on Monday morning. So take it easy. Bye-bye.